I'm Dr. Amy Tyler with St. Francis Animal Resource Center, and you're listening to Common Bonds Radio. Hi, I'm Kelly Burley with Episode 3 of our podcast, featuring a conversation with the Animal Welfare Superintendent for the City of Oklahoma City. John Gary shares his story of passion, change, challenge, and opportunity. I uh, graduated from Carlisle High School, um, and most of my family still lives there in Midwest City, so I uh, spent... We moved from, uh, I was born in Oklahoma City, then we moved to Midwest City when I was probably two or three years old, and been uh, stayed there for the most time. I now live in southwest Oklahoma City, more area. I uh, Initially, I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school and, and um, went out to San Diego for boot camp, and I uh, uh, blew my knee out about halfway through. So I spent about five months there and doing rehab, trying to get back in, and, and eventually they, they discharged me because my knee just wasn't, wasn't going to be where it needed to be to stay in. So... Uh, I came back here, and, and my wife and I, um, we were kind of, we'd known each other since we were 12 years old, high school sweethearts, and so we got back together as soon as I got back here, and then we, we moved out fairly quickly, and I started going to college, and we had a baby, and um, and then that kind of changed plans really quickly. I had to get a different, better, full-time job, and so, we, you know, at that time, I, I kind of had to get out of college, and I went to work. I I've initially, when I in high school, I learned to do um, paint and body, those kind of things, and and, um, and and learned how to work with metal, doing steel fabrication, those that kind of thing. So that's initially what I did. Spent uh, about the first couple of years of my adult life doing steel fabrication, and uh, the company I was working for uh, went out of business. And um, I was one of the last ones uh, to get laid off, but I, I knew I needed to find something quickly. And one of the guys that I work with said, hey, the city's hiring at the animal shelter I'm going to apply you should come down there with me and apply and so I did him and I uh, came went down there together and I got the job and he didn't unfortunately um and then uh it was really uh, by sheer accident I thought you know I like dogs I'll go hang out at the animal shelter for a couple months until I can get back to doing what I do which was working in steel fabrication and and then I got here and I just couldn't leave um you you learn quickly about how uh, well, of course, at the time, the shelter was such a different place, and so uh, the people were different, and there was a lot of good people there, but there was also a lot of people that shouldn't have been there uh, working in animal welfare at that time, and and um, I, after a few months of working there, I, I knew that I, I couldn't leave uh, with the current situation the way it was, and so I uh, I made the decision then to stay, and you know, those first two weeks working here um, were the hardest, you know, I... It, those first two weeks, I, I honestly didn't think I could keep working in this field. It was shelter was such a, a different place at that time. You know, all the animals were kept in gang cages, and the building was just old and drafty, and it's hard to keep you know cool in the in the summer, hard to keep warm in the winter, and and um, you know we come in and just miserable conditions for the animals. It really was that old style dog pound that you see on these old TV shows and stuff. And that's really what it was back then. And, and of course this is in 1999. So while that was 20 years ago, it, it still was far older than what you would even think, you know, it, it was something like you'd see in the fifties. And, and frankly, the building that we were in was from the fifties. So, um, it, it was just a, it, just a miserable, miserable place. And then of course at that time, 90% of the animals were dying in the shelter. We were euthanizing them. And so, 
Um, it was hard. I, I, that's the one thing that was a struggle for me. We were using gas chambers to do the euthanasia at that time, and, and I didn't think I could do it. I'd go home every night, and I'd tell my wife, I was like, oh, I can't go back tomorrow, I can't go back tomorrow. But um, she encouraged me to, to stay and support me, and, and thankfully I, um, I was able to do it because I, I really didn't think I could. And, um, but then it just kind of became this, this passion to make it different. And it started off small. Back then I didn't have, I, I was cleaning kennels, you know, I didn't have a lot of say-so in the way things were, and so I just started doing little things, you know. when it, Like when it came to euthanasia, I, if an animal wouldn't walk, I picked it up and I carried it, you know. And, and then, you know, instead of overfilling the gas chambers like they would do a lot of times back then, I, I only put the amount of animals that was supposed to be in there. And, and so it was, um, I just tried to do little things to make it better for the animals that were there, that I could do at my level at that time. And that really helped me, you know, get past of being able to stay there. Because my supervisor, I was lucky enough time. It's kind of interesting because uh, her name is Marcy Droke, and she still works here. She's, she's one of our animal control officers now, and she was my supervisor at the time. But she was very understanding about allowing me to do those things that um, I needed to do to be able to stay working here. And so she was very, I, I appreciate her a lot for that because I don't think I'd still be doing this 20 years later had she not allowed me to do that. Because it was slower, you know, when it came to euthanasia, I was slow. When it came to cleaning an area and taking care of the animals, I was slower than everybody else because I, I, I did things that, that a lot of people didn't do for the animals at that time. And so um, I was lucky enough that about six months in, I got promoted to being a shelter supervisor. And um, so then I felt like I really started having some impact and things and trying to change the way things were and um, really built a really good crew we had at that time. And um, then I kind of moved around the shelter. I wanted to learn everything I could because I knew if I was going to make a long-term crew out of it, I needed to know as much as possible. So I did. I moved around. I became a vet assistant for a while and did that for about a year. And, and then they asked me to come back and supervise in the shelter again. So I went back to supervising some more and got handed the front desk. And then I helped create the first volunteer program here. And um, the, the in-house program, we had a, a non-profit organization that ran our volunteer program at the time, but they wanted something that was more in-house. And so I helped develop that at that time, and I just kind of moved around and soaked up everything that I could. And, and I was fortunate enough in 2001, we had a, a new superintendent came in, and she really made us recognize that things didn't have to be that way, and they could be differently. So we started slowly making some progress, but the real change came in about 2007 when um, the Oklahoma Humane Society uh, formed, and we developed that partnership with them. And so we really started making a lot of changes around that time. and. You know, in that time, 2007, we were taking in about 28,000 animals, only saving about 25% of them. And then now today, you know, you look at last year in, in 2018, we took in about 22,000 animals and we saved about 86% of them. So we've made a lot of progress, and, and but that's just kind of how my career path went. You know, we, we, we've just done so many different things, and the city's invested in us, the community's invested in us now, and so... It really helps. It makes a huge difference in when you're doing what we're trying to do. You know, we all have inflection points in our lives. Do you ever think about how the fact that you had that knee injury really changed the course of your life? You know, it's funny. My wife and I talk about it all the time because, you know, I was going to spend my first year overseas, uh, and, and I'd never – one, I probably would never married her even though we were high school sweethearts, and two, I, there's no way I'd be where I'm at today had my knee had been healthy and – and it's kind of funny because they told me, you know, that's a pre-existing injury. I've had it all my life is what they said. And um, it's caused from years of wrestling is what they basically said. And so 
although I never had problems there until I went in there, I, I'm, you know, in some ways I, I really wanted to be a Marine really, really bad. And it's one of my, one of my only regrets in my life. But at the same time, I wouldn't be doing what I love had I not had that injury. So it worked out. It really did. And you wrestled in, in high school? Yeah, I wrestled most of my life all the way up from, I started wrestling about fourth grade and wrestled all the way through high school. And something I really, really enjoyed, um, uh, was wrestling and did a little bit of mixed martial arts stuff. And, I really enjoyed that uh, that physical contact for a while. It's kind of funny because I grew up kind of this little small tough guy, and then I grow up and have kids and getting animals, and now I cried all kinds of things. And we have all these you know emotional moments here working in animal welfare, and it's just totally it's totally changed my life completely. Did you have uh, pets growing up? I did. I always had a dogs growing up, and and you know I had uh, what, what I would consider my dog. We um, his name was Scrappy, a little Shih Tzu that I had most of my childhood life. We got him when I was probably five or six years old, and, and uh, he actually didn't pass away until I moved out. I left When I moved out, he stayed there with my mom, but he didn't pass away until about a year, so we had him. You know, he's really what made me a dog lover, and and then um, I was always a huge fan of bulldogs, and, and my wife, uh, uh, I, my mom never would let me have one. They were so expensive, and, of course, back then, not being an animal welfare, I didn't know any better other than going to a breeder, and, I, that was actually my first gig in animal welfare, if you, if you want to say. Is I, I did a, some part-time work for an, a, a bulldog breeder. They had, it was, they had a kennel set up, though, so that's what I did. I went and cleaned their kennels and took care of them. Got to play with the bulldogs all day, and um, they eventually actually gave me one of the pups for doing such good work for them, and then that's kind of started my my getting to have a bulldog for the first time. Now I've had a bulldog ever since, you know, and most of the bulldogs I've had are old ones that come into the shelter and I let them just come spend their last few lives last few years of their lives at my house and uh, I got one now that I find my wife said you can't do this to me anymore you know we're getting these dogs and they come home they're, they're with us for two years and then they pass away and so I actually adopted a bulldog from the Humane Society uh, a couple of years ago and he's a younger one I got him when he's about three and so he's kind of been my uh, he's my buddy and, and and we have four dogs at home but He's definitely uh, my dog. I don't think anyone else in the house really appreciates him like I do. The Bulldogs takes a special person to really love him. So, do you have a um, a favorite story about one of your pets growing up? You know, I don't know if there's anything that really sticks out. I I can just tell you we had this this long hallway in our in our house that kind of that's how you got to everything. Just one long hallway we went down the center of the house, and I can remember that me and that that dog's uh, scrappy like I said, he was a little shih tzu and but somehow he could fit a tennis ball in his mouth which i don't know how to this day how he ever did it but we would sit in that hallway for hours just me and him playing with that ball and you know that's probably my my biggest childhood memory of just that bonding experience that people have with with animals and how you really learn what what that means to you i, I know after i first moved out um, and I left him at home, I, I could see myself, because even at 14, 15 years old, he would still go fetch that tennis ball, and it's something we did from the time I was 5 till I was 18. So it's kind of, um, kind of seems silly, but that was, I really think that's the, when I really learned to appreciate animals, because he was always there every day. That's kind of really what got me, really got me going, made, a, made me a huge dog lover, and, and kind of, kept me going throughout my career actually i don't know how you um how you would i don't even know the right word for this how you cope with uh, working in a place where you have to you know euthanize a pet especially the passion that you bring to it how did you cope with that in the early in the early 
Well, I can tell you, um, when I first got here, like I said, there were some people here that, um, to be honest, they didn't care that the animals that we that the animals were having to die and that they had to euthanize them. Um, and so I, I watched those individuals perform euthanasia, and I knew that it was better off if somebody who cared was doing it. And so it was very, very hard to do, but I knew it was better for those animals. And so I literally sucked it up and, and came in and did it. And actually, at uh, times, I would volunteer because I knew that, it would, you know, we talk about humane death all the time and why I believe that the gas chambers was very hard to deliver a humane death. Um, I, I did my best to do that in a time that not a lot of us did. And I think that's really what, what kept me going and, and makes me underst- it made me understood, you know, that at that time there was really no other options for them, and then I just wanted to make sure that it was a peaceful process. Talk to me a little bit about how you manage your passion and, and the fatigue that, that is inherent with this work. You know, I've only, I've only been involved a short time, and I've, but I have had the chance to visit with a lot of different um, professionals who who are in this realm, and I, I've, I see it over and over again. They're, everyone's passionate about the work that they're doing, but it seems like the problem is ongoing, and, and sometimes fatigue can, can set in. How, how do you and your staff manage that? Well, it's difficult. You know, I, I, I really believe that, and I stress this to our staff all the time, is you have to have something outside of this work that, that you do, whether it just be family or reading or I'm a pool player, so I, that's my getaway. Whenever I go home, I got a pool table in the garage. When I go out there and I play pool, all animal welfare goes away for at least that short time period. And and I think you have to have those things if you're going to have a long career in this business. Um, it will it will it'll tear you down if if you don't have those those reliefs. And um, I'm fortunate to have a very smart supportive family at home and four kids that that all love what I do and excited that that I do what I do. So I got a lot of support there and. I think that's what um, people that aren't, aren't in this line of work, you know, one of the things that I always hate that people say to me, and I hear it every every day, they say, I love animals, I can never do what you do. And it's like, man, if you didn't love animals, you, you couldn't do what I did. And and that's something that I try to get people to understand. It, the people out here, they really care. This job is hard, it's difficult, and they really care. This isn't This isn't the people that were here in 1999, although some of them are. Um, the ones that really care, a lot of them are still here. Um, a few of them are still here anyway. And um, the people that are on on staff here that show up every day, um, it's a difficult job just to show up to every day. And so they wouldn't do it if they didn't care. They didn't love animals. And I think that's something that I hope that the public can really understand about our staff and who we have here now. Um, and it is such a difficult job to do. And you know, sometimes we'll we'll get groups that message us at night and they get angry because. They're like, well, you guys didn't respond last night. And I'm like, it was 11 o'clock at night. You know, I wasn't at work. I wasn't there. And they're like, well, we're just trying to save an animal, and you're making it difficult to do that. And I'm I'm just thinking, gosh, you know how hard our jobs are. You know, we have to have those moments away because if we don't, we won't won't be able to have that longevity. And I I think that's what's made me last this long because I've had days when I wanted to quit, you know. And and, um, this summer was was a hard, hard summer here. At the shelter, we had a, a distemper outbreak for the first time. and uh, You know, we've had isolated cases of distemper throughout my career, but never an outbreak where it was like this last summer. And so 
to live through that and some of the euthanasia numbers that had to happen because of the amount of disease we were seeing. It was such a difficult time, and, and I, there was times I didn't know if I was going to make it through this uh, this last summer. And I've had moments like that all throughout my career, and then I just have to keep remembering why I'm doing it in the first place, and, and so that I continue to show up, and our staff continues to show up. And and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that can't do it. We have a lot of turnover in in our work, you know. So um, it's it's a tough tough job, and uh, I admire everybody that shows up and makes a long career out of it. Of the tens of thousands of animals that have come through these doors, I mean, is there one that, is there an animal that has connected with you that you remember to this day on a deeper level? Um, or is there a story that really stands out? There, there's, there's a few that really um, were special throughout my career. We had a, when I first came to work here, we had a, a pit bull named Beans. And when I got here, Beans had already been in the sheltering system for five years, and um, he was a, he became kind of a shelter pet, but Beans originally came to us on a, on a dangerous case, and um, the owner fought it, fought it, and fought it, kept appealing it, and it got tied up in court literally for years. Um, it got to at one point the owner finally gave up, but the attorney that was doing the case refused to give up on Beans, and so the dog literally had an attorney, and. Um, <laughs> That fought this case, and, and Bean spent about seven years here in animal welfare with us as a, not because he, we wanted to keep him here, but he was forced to by the court system, and we all loved him, and um, he was completely rehabilitated by the time he left here, you know, like I said, he was here on a dangerous case, and um, but he was truly loved by the entire staff, and, and frankly, I, I think in a time when it was very tough to come to work here, Beans was that, you know, everybody would go spend a little little time playing ball with beans or taking beans his uh his snack that we used to cheat and bring him our leftover lunch and all those kind of things and so he was a he was a special dog that a dog I'll never forget um we ended up sending him out finally we got a release and we worked with a group called best friends which is a national organization sent him out there and he went and lived out there and then actually ended up getting adopted so it was it's a great story but he's been gone now for about Gosh, 15, 16 years now. So, but he was someone early on that really, uh, once again, made an impact on being here and doing what we do. I can't tell you how thrilled we are that you're part of the Common Bonds Initiative. Um, to, and we have the shared goal of raising the live release rate of cats and dogs in in Oklahoma shelters to ninety percent by twenty twenty five. I know that's a target goal of yours here in Oklahoma City as well. But talk to me a little bit about you know what it's going to take uh, in the relationships that, that need to be built with shelters across the state to, to get to that number? Well, it's going to take a lot of people working together for that common goal. And, and it is, it's, it's not hard, one of the, uh, or it's not easy, I should say. Um, one of the things that, you know, we've had a lot of success here, and we haven't quite reached that 90% live release rate goal, but we've got to where we, where we are today by working with, with a lot of groups and taking help from um, from anybody that's willing to give it to us. And one of the things that um, we're kind of guilty of in animal welfare is everybody wants the credit for this or credit for that, and, and, and we're kind of guilty of not really working and having good collaborative relationships. And uh, one of the things that I think that's made us successful here is we've, we have done that. You know, we have over 180 groups now that we work with, that we partner with, and uh, two national groups that we partner with that work with on a regular basis. And so 
I think for us here in Oklahoma, one, we have to understand the, the basic principles of what it's going to take, you know, spaying and neutering, lowering the population that we have. Um, and then we have some rural areas in Oklahoma that are just, just I, I almost said underserved, but frankly, they're not served. And um, we're going to have to get some support for those groups. And then, like I said, it's going to have to be a collaborative effort. Um, and then sharing with each other. You know, I, I'm, I'm really big on uh, a lot of the stuff that I have that I use today. I stole from some other shelter somewhere else in this country. And so we can always learn from each other and, and share those experiences and, and try to ensure that we all have, you know, those basic needs that, that it, the animals need in order to save their lives in the shelter environment. And so I'm happy to be a part of it. I think that, um, I, you know, after 20 years, I, I feel like a, hopefully I have something I can add to the group that's really beneficial so that I can help other other shelters learn what, what I've learned and, and, frankly, not help them do it and not take 20 years to do it like in some of our cases have been here. And then I, I'm just a little excited that uh, we, we're behind the times in Oklahoma as far as animal welfare goes, and I'm excited that, that we have an opportunity now to kind of bring animal welfare to the to the forefront and show our, our state, not just the Oklahoma City area, but our entire state, the importance of animal well-being and, and the impact it has on human life. And so I'm excited about being a part of this group, and I really think we, uh, if, if, we, if we work hard and work together, uh, we, we'll be able to achieve that 90% goal. So you've, you've been through a distemper outbreak. Now you've got this uh, this. Uh, late fall vote coming up on on maps for what do you want to talk about related to this new animal shelter uh, and how it can really make a difference for uh, a community for this community oklahoma city honestly it it's truly can be a life-saving thing and when we talk about um getting a, a the proper facility for these for the dogs you know even if you just walk through our facility now and you walk through our kennels the kennels that they have to stay in they're too they're too small and for a dog to have to live there day in and day out, you know, we try to get them out and get them outside and get them some fresh air and things like that. But, you know, with this number that we have in the building, it's just not feasible to get every single one of them out every day. And um, this this new building um, will, is going to allow us to do so many great things for these animals. But at the very least, give them a proper place to have to stay, you know, uh, a more humane, um, you know, disease-free environment and you know it's still going to be hard to control disease even in the new building but we'll be in much better place and be much be able to handle any kind of different outbreaks you know just you know really being able to singly house dogs because really in our kennels you know you walk through today and most of them have two two dogs in them and they're really designed for just one dog and even then some of them are too small for that and so this new facility is going to be so important and then I think uh, just being a better place for the people. You know, when you, when you have to come to work every day uh, and you come to a, a building that's designed like a prison, that, that's, that's hard. You know, the, these, our staff have to go in and clean in the kennels. You know, you walk through our kennels and there, there's not even a window in the building back there. And, and you know, you're, you know in, in the middle of the day, you have to have all the lights on just so you can see. It's just a dark place. And so... This new facility will be, you know, bright and airy and, and just be a better place for the people to be, too. Not just our staff that have to work here every day, but also the visitors getting to come in. And I think it's going to give them a really uh, better idea of that animal's true personality and who that animal is. And so I think it's going to make a big, big difference, um, you know, and in, in be able to, to really help us achieve that. Not just a 90% life rate, but beyond. We know that 
why 90% is our goal right now. We know even once we reach 90%, we're not done. I mean, there's places across this, this country, like uh, Austin, for instance, saving around 98% of the animals that come into their city shelter right now, which is just amazing. Um, but there's a lot of shelters that are doing it now, and so we know it's possible, but we really need the, the community support and, and the, right, the right facility to be able to, to accomplish it. You're a young guy, and you're probably not even thinking about this yet. Um, trust me, you will as you get closer to my age. But you started thinking at all about um, your legacy and in terms of at the end of the day when you're ready to hang it up and put your toes in the sand or whatever it is you want to do after you retire, um, how you want to be remembered for the work that you did. You know, it's interesting because I am young. I turned 42 this year, and, and uh, I only have five more years before I'm eligible for retirement, which sounds kind of crazy to think at 46 uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be eligible to retire. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I could retire at that point in time um, just because, uh, one, I think I'll be too young to do that. But um, if, I, if I feel like if this – I really honestly believe if, if this shelter was where we accomplished those goals and we, and we have that 90% live release rate and things are going well – I probably will retire from here and, and find another shelter that needs me. And um, but at the same time, I, I, the one thing that I that I hope that my staff and and people remember about me here is that um, I always had the animals in mind first. You know, so we had to makes a lot of tough euthanasia decisions over this past summer, but. Every decision we made, we, we really tried to make it what was in the best interest of, the, of not just that animal, but the other animals that were going to have to come into our facility and the risk and danger that the distemper posed for all of them. And, um, you know, and, and that I cared. I truly, whenever I came to work here, this was not a place that people wanted to come to work. And so I hope that our staff understand that really... I had a lot of goals of saving animals since being here, but more than anything, I wanted it to be a place where people wanted to come to work. And so if, if, I, if those two things people think about me and whether I accomplished them or not, that's probably a lot of people be, have different opinions about that. But as long as they know that that's what I strive for, I, I think I can, I can be happy, you know, and, and know that I did what I could do. John Gary is Animal Welfare Superintendent for the City of Oklahoma City. More information about the Oklahoma City Animal Shelter is available at okc.gov departments slash animal welfare. That's episode three of Common Bonds Radio. I'm Kelly Burley. And remember, if you're in the market for a cat or dog, visit your local animal shelter or rescue first. Give the gift of love to an animal while making a positive difference for your local community. And if you're already a cat or dog owner, remember to spay or neuter your pet. So long, everybody. Common Bonds Radio is made possible by the Kirkpatrick Foundation, committed to making Oklahoma the safest and most humane place to be an animal by 2032. Information at kirkpatrickfoundation.com. And by the organizations of Common Bonds, working collectively on behalf of Oklahoma pets, people, and places, including the Oklahoma Alliance for Animals, bringing together the people and resources needed to overcome pet homelessness, abuse, and neglect. Information at AnimalAllianceOK.org. Norman Animal Welfare, encouraging responsible pet ownership by promoting and protecting the health, safety, and welfare of the residents and pets of Norman through education, enforcement, and community partnership. Information at Norman PD. 
www.normanok.gov pd animal welfare. And Best Friends Animal Society, bringing about a time when there are no more homeless pets. Information at bestfriends.org.